It's Monday, March the 11th. It's 8 p.m. Sorry, I didn't tell you that showtime got moved. (laughs) This is show number 84. Here we go. Activation, maturation, process, rap game too saturated, grab you lady, masturbation on the face, of acne patient, acting patient, so complacent, comfortable, a basic bowler, shit, hold my own, I own my dick, go shaloma, unpredictable, and roll with the clicker, fold with big clips. I know I'm finna elevate it when I came in and be claiming this is, I don't care about being famous and shit, I was a bad little, never had, nigga, give it back, give it back to my fan, boy, I am who I am, hope I don't get in the jam, in the jam, had a dream of eating lamb in the lamb, in the label, come my fan with the rim, like Martin, Gina, Cole, Tommy, and Pam, start scheming, boy, you die with your and good evening, good evening. Welcome to show number 84. I am your gracious host, Gummo. This is, of course, the 84th installment of this wild, wacky adventure. <laughs> and uh, it's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been uh, over a month since I've done this. And, uh, and yeah, and we got changed over to a new time. Mondays, 8 p.m. You know, and, and uh, you, you know, what can I say? You know, I've been away for a while uh, doing doing my thing, and uh, hopefully you've been doing your thing. Uh, and coming to you from Chicago, and you know, I tell you what, uh, last week, uh, the, uh, at this very moment in time, the weather was in single digits, very cold. The past few weeks, actually, the past four or five weeks have been extraordinarily cold you know uh another one of those polar shit hang on open timer uh there sorry about that i've, I've got to time myself so i know how you know so i don't run over on the uh, show otherwise you would just hear some weird Russian or Polish commercial uh, and so yeah uh, so I- anyhow as I was saying it the weather here has been extraordinarily cold uh, we had one of those polar vortex things again twice two or three times here in Chicago and it really just cripples everything when it gets so cold that <laughs> when when all right so the first round i think we had two rounds maybe three i'm not sure but the first round was about four weeks ago and and so we're like yeah you know it's super cold it's actually it was actually too dangerous to go out and um go out you know go out (laughs) period and uh so we postponed uh and then then of course the following week it was uh just the same uh i believe it was just a little warmer it was like 11 or 12 degrees and then the following week uh was of course an off week for me and uh and then then the following week there was yet another uh extreme cold spell and it, it was ridiculous it was uh you know travel is uh is dangerous and uh it's just it's really uncomfortable it makes a life very stressful and um tough to deal with and at least uh in those conditions and so it was interesting though i did the whole boiling water throw in the cup throw the whole cup of boiling water thing in the air and uh it turned to dust and you know wow but the uh you know, it, but otherwise, uh, it, it, it was it was frighteningly cold. Uh, and, you know, the old jalopy doesn't have a heater, so <laughs> that was a challenge unto itself. And then, you know, you, you, you go out to your, your vehicle uh, after, uh, you know, a stressful day in the city, and you go to your vehicle at the train station, and it's covered uh, literally in this uh, ice... Sl- shit that stuck to your car and windows and you have to you have to scrape it away right because it's not warm enough to whatever and that's a challenge and then you know the cold was a challenge and then everything was really a challenge the past few weeks and uh so 
yeah, long story short, though, the, the weather seems to have broken. It was a balmy 40 degrees today. <laughs> and hopefully where you are, the weather is treating you well. And you know, uh, I, I tell you, uh, it, during those during those cold snaps, uh, you, you know, it you, you do just what you can to make it from day to day. Uh, you know, especially with uh, when you're traveling a lot, like I do. And uh, it was interesting, yeah, uh, you know, because. You kind of you kind of lose track of the whole news cycle thing and uh, the whole social media thing. Uh, my my um, my adventure away from social media seems to be paying off. I feel much better. I feel like my uh, creativity has returned. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit uh, more um, aware and cognizant of uh, things in in reality. Even though some may disagree, but uh, you know, whatever. That's your opinion, and uh, you know what? And, and so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I was on Twitter for a good good number of years, and uh, st I still read uh, things from people I follow and f from people that follow me, and um, that's interesting enough. And sometimes I'll like something or. I'll say something. I have an off offbeat comment, but uh, as far as posting, I just don't feel like I need to contribute. I mean, what am I doing, right? Uh, you know, on social media. I mean, what? You know, I don't. I don't feel like I need to. You know, like, hey, I'm going going to take a shit. You know, huh? you know. So I and tweet it, and uh, so I, that's not me. And um, it was interesting though, but you know, I don't want to feed the system of social media anymore. And so, but you know, I'm there, I'm reading stuff. I'm lurking in the background, <laughs> paying attention. And so, yeah, uh, it's March. <laughs> we've, we've completely skipped a month. So here we are at the beginning of March and the weather has turned uh, a nice pale blue. The time has returned to normal. The whole daylight savings time thing. And we, we won't get into that. But that uh, has been adjusted back to normal time. And it's always weird when you travel out of a time zone as well. So over the past month, I've been uh, also looking at some um, areas in uh, South America, and I wanted to share what I found. Uh, you know, I, I think I've spoke on the show previously about um, Garuja in uh, it's east of Sao Paulo, and you know, and that's that's I mean, you should certainly check that out. But I was also um, looking about 75 miles south of there on the coast uh, I don't know maybe it's time to chase that rainbow who knows uh, or it's certainly getting close certainly getting close I can almost see it and yeah that's just a random thought out of my mind. What about you? Hopefully, uh, the spring is uh, the spring break is catching up to you and making you smile. Things are making you smile. Things are making you happy. And uh, you know, we it, we all have our um, you know our personal struggles and challenges through life. But uh, you know, one thing that you can always remember is to always. You know, no matter no matter what you go through in life, you know, to always look for the good things in everything. In everything. It never it never pays to look at bad things in a bad way. It, it's all it always pays to look at good things, even if others see that it's a bad thing. Does that make sense? And, uh, you know, that all begins with the openness and honesty and the love in your heart, right? Uh, so anyhow, uh, before I get too mushy, uh, recently there were a few conferences 
Uh, and, uh, you know, sadly, I don't have anything to report on uh, because, you know, I, I haven't been, you know, listening to anything or paying attention to anything. And I believe that may be a good thing. Uh, you know, sadly, this evening after I'm done with the uh, the show here, I'm going I'm going to indulge in a little uh, news cycle orientation, <laughs> see what that's all about. <laughs> Maybe watch the Weather Channel or something. I don't know. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, new time zone. Uh, feeling good about the extra light during the day. And uh, hopefully that you are in a space in a spot no wait a minute before i before i switch gears i was looking at the weather out in colorado uh recently and uh if you if if you want to see what unbelievable looks like look at the recent snow uh fall in colorado where people are driving through 15 feet of snow now i don't know about you you know here i here i was complaining about the uh chicago winter now it was brutally cold don't get me wrong and millions of people can agree with me there but uh recently i believe it was a few days ago out in colorado they had like this they had like avalanches and all kinds of stuff covering the road and it, it was it was crazy and fortunately no one was injured <sighs> All right, so with that said, uh, you know, I'll be back after, uh, oh, well, let me, let me tell you, uh, hang on, let me pull this up. So I've been listening to an old eighties song all day, uh, from, uh, well, I'm not, you know, I'll keep that to myself. Uh, so this evening on the show, we wanted to bring our uh, 11 listeners worldwide and exclusive. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, seriously, though, uh, when, the little time that I had away, uh, I was able to uh, try to catch up on some of the uh, previous conferences that were out there. And one of the conference uh, and one of the talks that I found interesting, of course, uh, was uh, from uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and the um, the talk is uh, actually uh, I just, you know, I I really don't want to say it. It's called Don't Don't Fuck It Up. And um basically uh you know it, it's it's a great talk. Uh it, it's 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 about uh privacy. Uh it's it's about uh what's what's going on in the world, uh what what's happening with your data. Stuff like that. And uh, due to time constraints, uh, we have masterfully engineered a few moments out of the talk. Uh, and that's just uh, for the, uh, the, the time frame of uh, our show. But uh, the, if you want to check out the, the, the entire unedited version that we, you know, edited to save a little time, uh, you can um, catch where it is at the end of the show uh when i come back after the uh talk uh so here it is uh without any further ado this is because i'm running out of time uh it was good catching up with you guys but uh i'll come back and uh after the talk and um you know whatever so check it out uh it's called don't fuck it up so uh we're, we're, we're uh yeah don't fuck it up here it is check it out don't fuck it up is a good thing but even if you, sh you just shouldn't listen to anyone who's like, oh, yeah, back in the day it was so much better. It wasn't that good, but it's definitely worse now because now the business model of the entire internet is stockpiling, monitoring, and tracking your shit. And the real game changer is the storage. This is the Bluffdale, Utah uh, NSA data center. Your, sh your shit out there is not just vulnerable temporarily when it's being transmitted, but it's stored to be mined later. Keith Alexander, when he came here at DEF CON 20, he pissed me the fuck off because he came here and said, oh, you guys are so smart, right? Come and work for me. But he thinks that putting on, you know, we're so smart, but putting on jeans and a t-shirt is enough to convince us, you know, that 
yeah, you're, you're a good guy. Even though you're, you're, your agency is preventing people like us from becoming who we are, preventing, hacker, pre preventing the next generation of hackers. Think about if someone walked around in our community with a tape recorder, shoving it in your face all the time, recording everything you said, you'd find it hard to accept that person in, as, part of the as part of the community. You'd probably stop talking to that person entirely, but that's exactly what's happening. We have to remember that's what's happening even though we can't see it in our faces. Collect it all, exploit it all, etc. And of course, we always, ex we always assumed and suspected they were doing some of this stuff, but thanks to our friend Snowden, we now know they were doing what we long expected and more. And you've got to remember the government doublespeak here, right? When they say, we don't do this, that means we get our foreign partners to do this and then they give it to us. When they say, oh, we don't collect that under this program, it means yes, we collect that under a different program. So it's not just one particular TLA. <laughs> so there's now a million ways to fuck it up, right? Not just in the moment, but going back in time. So if anything you do makes you some kind of person of interest, they can go back and find other interesting stuff to pin on you whether it's for parallel construction, right, so that they don't have to admit how they know this stuff or other reasons. And most of this is not the fault of technology, right? Think about the problems with technology. It has problems. We find bugs all the time, but the number of bugs is dwarfed by the number of errors that exist between the chair and the keyboard. So when people say they've got nothing to hide, you've heard this a million times before, everyone's got plenty to hide, right, because they're the, they're the source of many of those problems. Everyone has always had something to hide either now or in the past. If people had nothing to hide, a lot more people would post status messages to Facebook that said, just jerking off. <laughs> For all the people in the audience, maybe a few that are feeling smug because they do do that. <laughs> You're morally consistent, but I would say lacking in long-term planning skills. <laughs> so people who are trained to do sketchy shit and not fuck it up, including organized crime and the feds, two groups to which there's not an insignificant overlap, you'll hear terms like tradecraft and opsec. Tradecraft means techniques and methods. And I'm going to throw up a few things here from our friends at the CIA, even though I'll make fun of them later. They spend a lot of time um, thinking about ways they, they can not fuck it up. And the best place to go when you're looking at CIA stuff, by the way, is analysis, not operations, because operations is where they really fuck it up. But analysis, they spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. One thing, if you go to the CIA Tradecraft Manual, which this is from, you can download it and read it, it there's a big thing about evaluating biases in analysis. And this stuff is also really useful for, for, uh, and, uh, for operations. I'll just go through a couple of these. Perceptual biases, right? Seeing what we want to see only. I think you can think of some CIA examples about that. Um, biases in terms of evaluating uh, evidence for consistency. Small samples are more consistent but contain less information. Only relying on available models when estimating probability. And then problems with causality. For example, attributing events to fixed background context. Sunni's bad. Uh, Shunni's good, Shiite's bad, for example, something like that. Um, all of these things transfer over to when we analyze our own operations when we're doing something bad. There are also a number of activities that you can do to counteract biases. And this is where the interesting stuff happens. This is just a quick selection that has a, a good crossover from analysis to operations. Checking key assumptions at the beginning of the project or when the project changes. Checking the quality of information. Doing contrarian techniques like devil's advocacy high impact, low probability, and what if, how that happened. And then, of course, things that we're all familiar with from pen testing, red team analysis, opposing force or adversary analysis. Do these things on your operations and, and look for where they're applicable. The other side of that is OPSEC. People say that a lot in this community. It stands for operational security. It basically means preventing the leakage of information which could lead to discovery or advantage by the other side. This World War II image sums it up. And incidentally, on the topic of being old school, I showed this picture to someone under the age of 25 and they said, why is Gandhi the enemy? <laughs> I can't wait till all education comes from Wikipedia and IMDb. <laughs> the government uses your tax dollars to produce literature to help you with OPSEC. So you need to, you know, you can go and check this stuff out. You, can understand, you need to understand what information is relevant, likely threats and vulnerabilities, risk assessment, and then applying countermeasures. And the point of this poster is, it's tough to see the little text, but you can look at it on the, um, on the, on the, on the DEF CON DVD, that 
OPSEC doesn't start and end with the operation itself. It covers all of your initial exploration and preparation and then everything afterwards. So what you, what you really want to get into a mindset is you don't even know you're going to do it and then you forget about it afterwards. OPSEC is a 24-7 job. So here are my variant of the seven deadly sins, the seven deadly fuck-ups. What makes you a candidate for getting busted? Overconfidence, thinking, oh, you know, they'll never find me. I'm using an anonymization tool. So depending on a single tool or point of failure. Excessive trust. In surveillance states, for example in East Germany, one out of every 66 individuals was a government informant. What do you think that ratio is like in the hacking community? Emmanuel Goldstein estimates one in five. Probably that's a high bound, but talk to you know, Chelsea Manning, for example. I bet she's regretting a trust model in the community. Conviction that your guilt is minor and no one's going to care. Oh, no one's going to care about what I'm doing. I'm just defacing a website, for example. It's all going in your permanent record. Guilt by association. Visiting the wrong chat room. Coming to the wrong conference. Being associated with the wrong people. Like the real estate people say, location, location, location. Exposing where you're coming from is always likely to fuck you up. It can expose you to many things besides just reverse exploitation, which the government has been doing. Of course, sending anything in the clear, not just personal identifying information, but browser fingerprints, unique device IDs, locations you are or might be at in the future. Keeping too much documentation about what's going on. People who are like really fighting the state and doing serious business know about this stuff. This is a quote from a Ukrainian separatist. Home computers and personal cell phones should never be used for operational purposes. Identifying documents should never be carried. Details of military operations should never be discussed on phones or in front of family members. You may even need to do things that you don't like to do, like abstaining from alcohol. Like sins, you're going to commit one of these. You're going to fuck one of these up. So use your tradecraft analysis to figure out how you can recover from making mistakes. One of the things that you can use to stop fucking things up are tools. But tools can also help you fuck it up. A computer is just a tool to help you fuck things up a billion times faster than you could do by yourself. They increase confidence, the sin of overconfidence. That's the likelihood of fucking it up. Using a tool badly or stupidly can be worse than not using it at all. This is one of my favorite tool injury pictures or tool hazard pictures because this is from the water jet cutter. It puts out a stream of compressed water at 15,000 PSI, breaks the sound barrier, cuts through inch thick steel and everyone who walks in the room is like, what would happen if I stuck my hand in that thing? <laughs> so here's the first tool, VPNs. Uh, you're going to use an insecure network. Are you safe? Two questions when it comes to tools. Should I use it and how should I use it? What do you get from a VPN? Well, you get some traffic encryption but only between you and the VPN itself, not necessarily from the VPN to the remote location. You may get a little bit of location obfuscation to the remote server, right? They, they may not know exactly where you are. Maybe you get some request concealment to the ISP between you and the VPN, not afterwards. So it really depends on where the listener is located. It's a single hot proxy. So anyone who's watching both ends, like a state agency, can do traffic correlation very, very easily. It also it shifts the trust model over to the VPN provider. And that's a provider you probably have a financial relationship with. So that could be traceable depending on how you're paying for it. So think about those things. VPN providers really vary on what they promise. Many of them say they don't keep logs. You should know their logging policy, but that doesn't tell you the whole story, especially if they're not located in the United States because they can start logging anytime they want to. For example, when they receive a national security letter, which they're refused, they're barred by law from telling you they've received. So just because they don't log now doesn't mean they won't in the future if you become interesting. VPN clients vary on how well they hook you up. They can leak information depending on the client. I've seen this myself. So if you plan on hiding behind a VPN, then you better see what the client lets you expose. Connect to the VPN, run Wireshark or another packet sniffer on another computer and see what's coming out of the computer that you're going to use for operations. Is everything going through the VPN or not? If this small amount of thing is too much effort for you, then internet scoff law is probably not the job for you. You should work for the government instead. Here's a simple test for the lazy. Open up an SSH connection and then fire up your VPN and see if it drops. If it stays open, then stuff is still being leaked. Existing connections are allowed to go through and all kinds of things could be phoning out with your real IP. 
A lot of VPN clients are also shitty for mobile use. Every time you put your computer to sleep or move around, the tunnel goes down and you have to reconnect. When that happens, every, every freaking app on your computer phones home and tries immediately to reconnect before the VPN reconnects and exposes your IP. Mail clients, browsers with open tabs that decide to reload them, browsers that are doing all kinds of JavaScripts in the background that, that, are, com uh, that are communicating. All your shit is exposed. If this applies to you, make sure all this stuff is shut down before you close the VPN. So even if it's as simple as doing a kill all minus stop, I know that's impossible to read, but that's what it says. Thinking about everything that could possibly phone, phone home, stopping it before you close the VPN is a good habit to get into. Of course, habits are fragile. You'll eventually fuck it up. So try and automate that process. Another thing on that subject, randomize your MAC address. It's already been exposed that the Canadian government was probably illegally tracking people using airport Wi-Fi from their MAC addresses so they could see where people were moving around um, in various airports. So I like to randomize my MAC address uh, you know, as, as, often as, as often as not too inconvenient. So should you use a VPN? What kind of a list does it get you on? VPNs have their uses and their flaws. So if you're going up against the big guys, and they are on both sides of the, of, of the VPN, traffic correlation is trivial. Simply using a VPN also makes you look interesting. So this is from the X Keyscore manual in 2008. Got to also remember with X Keyscore, this is not a real-time traffic processor. This is a database miner. It's a set of filters for stored data. People often say to me, you should be on a list. Well, I use a VPN when I travel especially, so I'm definitely on some sort of list. This is from Pacific SigDev in uh, March 2011. Also met mentions ingesting and storing VPN data. Once again, looking at identifying VPN use and then finding out ways to get into those networks. Mentions a program called Birdwatcher. We know nothing more about this, but clearly some sort of data mining program that perhaps could be put to use collecting VPN key exchanges for later cryptanalysis. By the way, this is also from Pacific SigDev. I'm really pleased to see in this presentation we got a category of our own right next to terrorists, criminal groups, and foreign intelligence agencies. So we're in the big time. Here's another uh, NSA slide. Black Pearl, a survey database from the uh, TAPS on the undersea fiber optic cables. Presumably providing high-level communication of things such as communications having a foreign endpoint because technically they're only allowed to uh, look at things with a foreign endpoint. They, can collect, they think they can collect everything. It only counts as, foreign, as domestic data collection if they look at it. This is that, uh, that sort of legal weaseling. So once again, Using VPNs is something that can attract attention. This was reported as a tool for specifically targeting private networks, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So if using a VPN puts you on a radar. Is that something, that, is that a reason not to use it? I don't think so, but you, because you might as well make things more difficult for them. But perhaps in certain cases, you should be aware of it when you do your tradecraft analysis. Here's another one about intercepting and decrypting VPN traffic. This is the Hammerstein slides referring to doing a man-in-the-middle attack on VPN traffic via compromised network routers with, with implants inserted. So these refer to selected decrypted content. So the good news is that going to all this trouble probably means that it's not all vulnerable. But at least some of it, no doubt, it refers to crypto attacks on PPTP VPNs, known compromised since about 2012. Moxie Mylan Spike and David Halton's DEF CON 20 presentation and release of Cloudcracker for PPTP. So a VPN is probably still worthwhile, but you've got to make sure it's up to date. And don't just rely on that one thing. One thing you can do if you're truly paranoid is hop VPNs every few minutes. Some providers even offer this service within a single provider. Again, you're depending on one provider and you're now generating really interesting traffic for the NSA, but against some listeners, you've got some decorrelation noise in there. Good for research, like searches and port scans. But just don't fuck it up believing that this one hop proxy is going to be a magic all-in-one solution. And remember that it leaves a financial trail. Then that can connect to your real identity unless you're paying anonymously. So let's go multi-hop. Don't fuck it up when you use Tor. Hopefully everyone here knows what Tor is and the main way you fuck it up when you use Tor, which is thinking that Tor encrypts your traffic by default. It doesn't. Tor is for anonymization, not for encryption. The layers of encryption are just to protect the routing within the onion, not to protect your base traffic. You need to encrypt as well. Tor is very, very important, I think. There's been a lot of talk recently about, oh my God, you know, is Tor broken? Or is Tor a honeypot developed by spooks because they have uh, federal funding? 
I don't think either of those things are true, but we're going to talk about some of that now because I think it's really important that we do because Tor is the main way, for example, dissidents get out and communicate out of oppressive regimes. It's how researchers can look up suspicious information without themselves being targeted. It's how ordinary people can search and communicate without being tracked and monitored. And it's how all of you can do a search after DEF CON for catastrophic liver damage without raising your insurance premiums. <laughs> so it, it pisses me off when people say that TOR is only for illegal acts, right? Don't fuck up TOR by only using it when you're doing sketchy shit. Pump a whole bunch of your normal traffic through it. Even if you're completely squeaky clean and you're not doing anything wrong, still use TOR because that helps out everyone else. Also, the nature of Tor is for anonymity. It's really tough to tell people that you're using Tor for good. But if you can, if you've got a use that you can talk about, get it out there. Tweet, hashtag something like Tor for good. The Tor devs will appreciate it. But let's talk a little bit about people who should know better have fucked it up using Tor. We all remember this. Sabu, lolsec and antisec, 4chan and nons, trolling the web for SQL injection vulnerabilities, DDoSing websites, dumping user account database, databases and taking down high profile things that were really going to get them in trouble like the CIA's website. They were coordinating an IRC channels accessed by Tor. The feds discovered that, monitored the channels, waited for someone to fuck it up. Sabu committed the sin of packet origin, logs in just once without using Tor, gets owned immediately. Immediately, a few seconds later, gets turned into a snitch because what's he going to do, right? He's facing decades of federal imprisonment. So even though he'd been doxxed months prior, at that point, it's confirmed, he goes snitch. So that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is what happened to Jeremy Hammond. He gets identified from information in recorded chat logs with, chat logs with Sabu. The feds log that packet metadata from, from his Wi-Fi access point. They get a regular trap register, pen, uh, uh, pen register trap and trace order, standard wiretapping, right? They match his MAC address of his computer to packets going to a Tor entry node correlate the times of Tor access, his Tor access on his Wi-Fi access point to his presence, his ID in the IRC channel. So a traffic correlation attack but not of the normal kind that we think of when we think about Tor. So there's no compromise necessary for, of Tor to acquire the circumstantial evidence that eventually put Jeremy Hammond away. So the moral of that story is don't fail unsafe with Tor. That's the Sabu moral. Practice hygiene. It's, if you, it's going to matter that you're doing this then don't have two browsers open even, right? In case you accidentally type something into something that's not the Tor browser. Make sure everything, even your DNS, goes through Tor. Use a separate machine that's proven to only connect through Tor. It's a very good idea. Or if you want a firewall it, use a firewall like PFSense to make sure that all the traffic from your network goes through Tor. And then check what you're exposing. Go to something like ipcheck.info and make sure that things are not being exposed. And of course, don't only use Tor for operations. Don't provide the correlation of Tor usage with doing bad things. And of course, OPSEC is 24-7. This is a chat on Reddit with Sabu after he was a snitch saying, keep your OPSEC up 24-7. Friends will try and take you down if they have to. Yes, never a truer word spoken by a, a, a fed snitch at that time. Another one we've all heard about, Harvard student. A bomb threat gets called into Harvard during exams. It takes a matter of hours before the perp is uncovered as a student freaking out about exams. Use Tor to connect to Gorilla Mail, which adds an originating IP header. So a lot of OPSEC fails in this case, but mainly the folly of only using privacy tools when you're up to no good. Privacy should be had for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Privacy is like bacon. It makes everything better. So here's how we fucked it up. Hardwood, hard, Harvard's network requires you to register your MAC address. And not one of the reasons why MIT is better than Harvard, because we don't do that. But Harvard requires registration tied to MAC address and they log the uh, outgoing traffic. So these things provided multiple potential vectors for this guy to fuck it up. Again, no compromise of Tor necessary. And this is kind of a microcosm, okay, at one university of pervasive surveillance and pervasive correlation because there's lots of ways that those two things put together could have fucked it up for him. For example, investigators could look at who went and downloaded the Tor browser bundle right before the bomb threat got called in, or look at everyone who connected to a known Tor entry node at that time, or who accessed the Tor directory servers. So 
when I think about this, I think about, well, we've already got in this country a model for pervasive surveillance that everyone's familiar with, and that's the credit agencies, right? And we do a kind of OPSEC with the credit agencies. We get credit before we expect to need it to build up a rep, right? Use privacy tools before you need them. We don't cancel credit cards even when we don't need them anymore because they just sit there keeping on building up our reputation. So don't stop using the privacy tools when you're finished doing something bad. So just like with the credit agency, Tor usage can get you on a list, but you've got a good reason for being on that list. So there's a lot of ways this guy could, could have not fucked it up. Um, for a start, he should have done, as we said in our tradecraft, key assumptions and high impact, low probabil probability analysis. Been prepared for that in inevitable interview with the cops as a, core, as a Tor user. Or he could have used the bridge relay, relay to connect to Tor. But more on this later, we know that the NSA has been tracking bridge relays too. He could have been prepared for traffic analysis on his entry points. So he'd gone, if he'd gone off campus and used a Starbucks or used a, a burner cell phone with a data plan, then he probably wouldn't have got busted. People do swattings and bomb threats all the time and they aren't the resources to really, really track it down. You just have to make it hard. And of course, he could have used a mail service that didn't IP identify, exposing his Tor exit, exit node. So what do, we, what do we know about how vulnerable ordinary Tor users are to state surveillance? Well, what we do know is that Tor was troublesome enough for NSA and GCHQ that they had at least two anti-Tor symposia, Remation 1 and Remation 2, most recently Remation 2 in 2012. So probably there's not a straightforward backdoor. That's good news that they had to have a conference on it. We do know that using Tor is obvious. Tor is designed to make Tor users look alike, not Tor users look like non-Tor users. So fingerprinting is already done for you. We know that attacking Tor seems to have been challenging enough in 2012 that they went for, a went for the browser instead, delivering a native exploit to the version of Firefox used in the Tor browser bundle. I think that's a good sign too. This is from the famous Tor Stinks presentation, which I'm sure you've also seen, so this is going to be quick. But we have an admission that de-anonymizing all Tor users all the time is not able to, do to be done. So de-anonymizing is possible but not trivial. So you've got to practice your comsec inside of your Tor sessions. Of course, they're doing traffic correlation attacks. Doesn't seem to be on a big scale, though. And, of and staining of Tor users, either by storing cookies um, or by using quantum man-on-the-side attacks to force the browser to give up identifying cookies, like Yahoo cookies, Google cookies. This is one reason why using the Tor browser, even if you're putting everything through Tor, using the Tor browser is good because it doesn't store those cookies. And also quantum methods to delivering exploits to the computer, like the Fox Acid program. You can look that up. I won't talk about it. So some of that certainly should give you pause about how safe Tor is as a, as a single solution. Don't ever use single solutions. But the good news for regular Tor usage is that it makes things harder. And th this is the third document released at the same time, saying the system, as far as low latency anonymity goes, is still the king. Similarly, a lot of counter-Tor efforts going to client-side exploitation. So Tails gets a positive review from the secret police. Adds severe computer and network exploitation misery to the equation. So what does all this tell me? Tor does put you on the radar. And Tor and Tails do make these people's lives harder. And that's a risk trade-off you need to think about. So what I think about, how I think about it is that using it puts you on a list, a big list. And if your disobedient acts would put you on a much, much smaller list, right, the list of people warranting serious attention, then it's probably worth being on that big list as well. And the more people who are on that big list, the better it is. Also, security of your whole system is more, still more important in the big picture than any one single element. Or to put it another way, there doesn't seem to be a critical flaw in Tor that makes all these other attacks unnecessary. But if your life or your freedom depend on it, don't ever trust one single element. This includes Tor and lots of other tools in your communications chain. Do your tradecraft. Um, one example I like to use, I like how it says on CryptoCat's website, you should never trust your life on your, or your freedom to software. I think that's slightly overstating the problem, right? Because we, we trust our lives to software pretty much every day, every time we get in a car or an airplane. But when you get in a car, you also put on your seatbelt. It's like the old Islamic proverb, trust in Allah, but tie up your camel. <laughs> Here's some more good news. The big list and the small list. This is the recently leaked X-Keyscore filter rules. I know this is totally unreadable, but basically these ones show the security agencies are hell-bent on making that big list as big as possible. Anyone who connects to the Tor directory service or the Tor website gets put on that big list. 
In terms of the state admission of the secret police, this is great. This is akin to looking for a needle in a haystack by piling on more hay. Great work. This is really good. It's still upsetting and concerning that they're targeting everyone who uses Tor, especially in that it's worse than criminal, it's stupid way. But no more so than the rest of the blanket surveillance that we're talking about. It just reinforces we need more people using these services. This part is worse. This is what I mentioned, collecting the addresses of bridge relays by mining them out of the emails that people send when they get a bridge relay. I think this is a really scummy thing to do and it's worth being aware that they're doing it. Uh, so the Harvard student, you know, would he have been caught even using a bridge relay? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know why. We don't know because we don't know how much information gets shared between these three-letter agencies. But be careful out there. Finally, in terms of really loading up on the hay, Tails and Tor are advocated by extremists on extremist forums. That's a comment from the X-Key score, score rules. So congratulations. We're all extreme. Have a Red Bull. Silk Road and the Red Pirate Roberts. We all know the story. Silk Road operates as a Tor hidden service for over two years before it gets busted. Not a bad effort in, by some metrics. We know, well, not everyone knows, but we know that uh, the feds made hundreds of drug purchases through Silk Road, slowly, carefully building their case. They let it operate probably for longer than, it, uh, than they had to to make sure they could get a bust. This is like standard organized crime stuff. They bust the Red Pirate Roberts at the, same, at the same time that they image and seize the Silk Road server. So what fucked it up? Well, we know that there were numerous offsec fails by the Red Pirate Roberts. Stack exchange posts, forum posts from the same account, including his real email, ordering fake IDs with his face on them. Lots, lots of things that were likely to fuck it up for him. But we don't know how the server was de-anonymized. And that's the 180,000 Bitcoin question. How did that happen? We don't know the answer. But here are some options. The Dread Pirate Roberts was already identified and monitored and somehow he, he pulls a Sabu, logs in without Tor one time to, to fix the server, for example. Not out of the realm of possibility. The hosting company could have been identified via commercial means, like the, the, the uh, pay tracing. And then imaged all the servers on that, on that hosting company, like what happened with Freedom Hosting. They could have served an exploit to the Silk Road server owned it and had it de-anonymize itself. That's what they did to the freedom hosting customers. Uh, or they could have performed a large-scale, time-intensive, so hidden service de-anonymization attack. We don't know the answer, but let's talk about the only one that involves an attack on Tor directly. Hidden services, what you need to know about them is that they're at a huge disadvantage in terms of correlation attacks because the attacker can prompt them to generate traffic. They're basically two Tor, uh, Tor circuits connected together around a rendezvous point. And anyone that connects to Tor long-term to the same thing is vulnerable to these kinds of things, especially to hostile relays because the network's not that big. So sooner or later, you're going to go through a malicious node. Not such a problem for the typical user, but if you're like maintaining a long-term repeat business like a worldwide drug uh, supply company, then it's dangerous. So I don't have time to go into details, but this is a paper released recently by Buryakov et al. about uh, de-anonymizing hidden services. They were able to harvest hidden services and map the popularity of a number of hidden services, including Silk Road, for um, two, in two, two days, so this is just mapping onion addresses and the usage of them, two days for less than $100 in Amazon EC2 instances. Also able to confirm that a particular Tor node acted as a guard node for a given hidden service which allowed the de-anonymization de of that hidden service with 90% probability in eight months for 11,000 US dollars, right? Well within the, re the realm of possibility for state actors. This relied on a bug that has since been fixed. The Black Hat talk this week that was cancelled relied on a different bug, also since fixed, but it, they were able to stain Tor traffic to hidden services. This was very irresponsible of them because that stain is now preserved in all of the traffic that's been collected by st state surveillance agencies. So if Tor's crypto is broken at a later date, those people could potentially be de-anonymized. De um, but the good news about it is this stuff leaves, leaves traces. This shows a spike in the number of guard nodes when the uh, Buryakov and others were doing this. So you can, it can be noticed. So that's, that's the, the good news out of that is that, uh, you know, we, we can find these bugs and fix them. But be aware that, yes, there are potential attacks on Tor, but not against everyone all the time, we think. 
Uh, about hidden services, the state actors don't have much to say. Uh, that's not in that paper. It's the same kind of thing. Harvesting hidden service addresses to see what's out there and then using cloud instances of Tor relays. Presumably keeping up with what's being done in the open source community, but no reports of noticing these attacks on a continuous basis. And let's remember from the JTRIG wiki, conveniently released, I think, the day or the day before DEF CON slides were due, so I could put them in here. The spooks use Tor 2 quite a lot. This is a lot of things. Uh, this, these are the British GCHQ JTRIG people using Tor for all kinds of things. So even though they almost certainly commit the sin of overconfidence, among others, they have a sense of assurance that their activities are not going to be de-anonymized all the time for whatever that's worth. And also on the subject of whatever that's worth, personally, even though, this, even though trust isn't transitive and it doesn't help anyone in this room, I personally know the Tor developers personally, some of them, and I trust them not to run a government honeypot and not to make backdoors for the spooks, for whatever that is worth. So the key element to all this thing is not the de-anonymization of the service, the, uh, the Silk Road service, which is possible. The key element is being tied by identity to the operation of that service. It's theoretically possible for, a, for the server to have been completely identified and imaged because it's a bidirectional Tor circuit without Dread Pirate Roberts being busted. So he, if he practices ComSec properly, he might not have been caught. So the moral of the story there is don't run a massive online drug marketplace if you don't have a plan for when that thing gets infiltrated. And that's a, that's a, that's a meta lesson to that too, right, which is maintaining an anonymity with a large organization over a long period of time is really, really hard. You've got to do everything perfectly. And not everyone starts out intending to be an international uh, cyber criminal, criminal mastermind. So they don't take precautions ahead of time. So try and decide in advance where things might go. Do that tradecraft analysis. Let's move to phones. What does that little Benedict Arnold in your pocket do to give you away? Well, so much freaking stuff. Your metadata of all your calls and your location information to all the federal agencies being given to them straight by the phone companies. Uh, also location from the EXIF data and the photos you take. It leaks, they leak your contact lists. Offer up lists of the Wi-Fi networks you've accessed to anyone who's listening in that area. Unique identifiers such as IMEIs, uh, UDIDs, and so on. Preference cookies from browsers and so on. Sometimes the contents of your searches if you do them in the clear. A lot of the older devices have weak crypto, especially the ones that have a mixed version base, <coughs> Android. Web browsers on these tiny devices have limited RAM and cache, so they're constantly reloading freaking tabs as fast as they can, and so everything that you've done recently when you move to a different network gets re-exposed. Auto-connect, the, wi the, the Wi-Fi pineapple's best friend. Oh, hello, ATT Wi-Fi. Hello, Xfinity Wi-Fi. I remember you. Apps, of course, leaking all kinds of shit. It all adds up to a unique identifier for you and a pattern of your life. And the agencies monitor this kind of stuff constantly, looking especially for concurrent presence and the on-off patterns of your phones. I'm kind of famous for not carrying a cell phone. But that's because I don't like publicly associating myself with criminal organizations, by which I mean, of course, the phone companies. But there's one time a year I carry a phone. It's this little seven-year-old Nokia feature phone. It must look great in the metadata store because Every time this phone is used, it's constantly surrounded by thousands of notorious hackers. <laughs> but for the secret police, smartphones are the best gift they could ever get. It's like Christmas, Hanukkah, and Steak and Blowjob Day all rolled up into one big spy orgasm. Their perfect scenario is just a very, very simple thing. A simple photo share that happens millions of times a day. They get everything that I just mentioned and more. They know this, and yet even the spy agencies manage to fuck it up. Here we go with the CIA. The February 2003 rendition of Egyptian cleric Abu Omar from Italy. The police were able to reconstruct a minute-by-minute -minute rundown of that abduction from the cell phone records. 25 CIA employees and one United States Air Force Lieutenant Colonel were named and charged by the Italian authorities for pulling this guy off the street and illegally, illegally, illegally abducting him and spiriting him out of the country. This, uh, the, they did this because the phones were geolocated near the abduction at the time of the abduction. They found that the phones had called one another. They'd even called numbers in the US like family members. They never removed their phone batteries. 
They geolocated their phones to the hotels at night, checked them against the registration records. Many of them used their real names. Some even made sure that their hotel stay was registered against their real frequent flyer number, so they got the miles. So if you're going to use a burner phone under this kind of capacity to massively correlate every phone that's in use all the time, then you need to know what to do to not fuck it up. In fact, if you're carrying a personal tracking device, aka a cell phone, you've probably already fucked it up. But here's what you've got to do to use a burner phone. Agencies specifically look in the traffic to identify burners, looking for things like length of time from activation till when they go away and are never used again. Patterns of use. Try to identify burner cycling if they get used again. Fingerprinting of phones. EFF suing the NSA about this right now. They log the signal strength at cell towers to get your location. Every time the phone is turned on or moves, there's a record. And the number that, the, that is used to activate the phone or the SIM is also recorded. And also the purchases. They'll go back to security video in the Walmart or wherever we, where you got it from. So here's what you've got to do if you want to use a burner phone securely. Purchase them a long time in advance before the operation. Register them far away from the operations area. Use fa false information when you register them. Go with dumb or feature phones instead of smartphones. Remove the battery when you're not using it. Fill the phone with fake contacts. Use each one as little as possible and switch phones when you switch locations and leave the phone at that location so you don't fuck it up. Call unrelated numbers so there's a different pattern of network per phone. And remember the purpose for each phone and finally destroy it when you're finished. You can eat, or you can do what McAfee does when he said yesterday, tape it to the bottom of a long-distance 18-wheeler and let it go for a ride. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it because eventually that someone's going to find it and then they'll do forensics on it. So think about that. Don't ever turn a phone on in a location that you can be placed at. Allow your phone to be on at the same time or place as another phone that you own. Call the same non-burner phone from multiple burners. Store any of your real contacts on that phone. Matching entry and exit point, we know specifically they look for that. So don't match the last use and first use of phones, overlap it. Don't tie them to online services that can bridge that phone metadata, for example, two-factor authentication on Gmail accounts. Think what you would do to red team a massive database of location, time, call destination, and call length metadata. An anonymity is hard. If you can't go to this much trouble to not fuck it up, then evaluate whether the risks you're taking are worth it. Let's go to messaging. After all these years, email still fucking sucks, right? Fighting spam aids tracking because that's why they insert sender IPs and other information into the headers. After all these years of the wall of sheep, let's give it up for the wall of sheep because they're awesome. After all these years of the wall of sheep, webmail service are still going to HTTP and not forcing HTTPS. So a more accurate sheep-related analogy is this, a fucking sheep gut filled with goddamn worms. Mail services, even if they implement SSL, they have weak server-side storage. Remember the GCHQ slide with that, with that uh, infamous smiley face. They may not encrypt in their internal networks. Email is still fundamentally broken um, because even if you use PGP or SMIME, the metadata is still not encrypted and metadata can still fuck you up. This is a huge one. People keep their email. It's logged insecurely on the client side, either in browser caches and so on where it can be exposed, or people just having bad retention habits and saving all that email. Like someone famously said, it doesn't matter that I don't use Gmail because Google already has all my mail because all my friends do. Remember that. Google is part of the problem. Uh, never they all hold never delete your mail thing. And instant messaging is not much better. So you've got to remember the Psycho X principle. Never say anything. Never put anything in a message packet that a Psycho X could credibly use against you later. Assume everything's being saved forever, especially by the NSA if it's encrypted because their retention rules allow them to keep it forever if it's encrypted. We all like to make fun of security by obscurity, right? But sometimes that's all we have. So these are the code talkers in World War II, a classic example of security by obscurity that worked. At its best, it's fully deniable. It's arguably the safest communication because no one even knows it's a communication. But if you're going to use it, if you're going to use security by obscurity, make sure you don't fuck it up. Here's another CIA example. General Petraeus, really picking on these guys, going all the way to the top. He's having an affair with his biographer, 
They write messages to each other in draft emails on Gmail and then don't send them, just delete them when they're read. Multiple people have access to the account. So in spy terminology, that's recasting email as a dead drop instead of a transit mechanism. Now, I will never begrudge anyone a booty call, but if you're going to fuck, don't fuck it up. <laughs> they used the exact technique that was developed by people the CIA was already monitoring. Quote unquote Al Qaeda people in the, in the mid Middle East somewhere. But using multiple accesses to a single email address from different locations, that's exactly what pervasive surveillance was designed to expose. Anyone in this room, if they were given the, the database and said, write me some interesting queries, one of the first things you would do is say, give me all the accesses to email accounts that are impossible journeys, right? That are within times that you could not physically make that location trans transit. Secondly, don't rely on things getting deleted. If Google knows about it, it's no longer safe. They, it's, it's cheaper to keep things than to delete them these days. So be judicious about your insecurity. Understand your insecure channels. It's okay to use them, but manage them. Do your quality information check and your what-if analysis. You, you should understand by now in this talk, Petraeus could have still covered his tracks, even if it looked for plain for all to see that there were two people having an affair, as long as it couldn't be tied back to him. This kind of thing happens millions of times every day. Hide in the noise. So here are some common broken and compromised serv services. Commercial web, web mail is basically all fucked. I advise people to run their own mail server. At least when the feds are interested, you'll know about it. Metadata is still a bitch though. Gives a lot away. This is a really nice image I found here. This is uh, an image of the mail that Lee Harvey Oswald sent to the Kremlin. So that's what metadata is. Hopefully dark mail will do something about this. I didn't go to Ladar's talk. I'm going to watch it later, but hopefully it was good. Skype. Definitely compromised. No question. This is from the SIGIN enabling document uh, referring to backdooring commercial service providers. By 2013, full SIGIN access to a major internet peer-to-peer -peer voice and text communication system. Well, what do you suppose that is? Too speculative? NSA briefing notes from the visit by the SIGINT director of German intelligence. Under potential landmines, a carefully passed statement saying the official line is that Skype has been owned by tailored access at the endpoints meaning compromising one or other of the, of the communicating party's computers, not in transit, but a clear implication from the language that they've done a deal with Skype that they didn't want to tell the Germans about, even though they're allies. And if that doesn't convince you, JTRIG's wiki spells it out. Real-time call records, bidirectional instant messages and contact lists. Pwned. So, fuck Skype. I mean, you can still use it if you want to, but understand that to people with the right capabilities, it's equivalent to unencrypted. So figure out your threat model. Uh, lots of chat, I think, is broken if we're including the secret police in our threat model. So I say let's just assume IRC is pretty much all collected. If you can grab all of port 80, then why wouldn't you just grab 6667 for a, uh, you know, as an afterthought even. Um, even if you're using SSL from you to the IRC chat room, even one single person in a group chat connecting unencrypted means that that stuff is completely ownable by mass surveillance. Um, and we know that IRC is on the radar for spooks because of quantum bot um, taking control of IRC bots. Over 140,000 bots taken control of uh, and co-opted. Lots of reasons, of course, the spooks might be interested in IRC bots. Uh, persistent presence all over IRC is just one of them, but it's something to be aware of. Uh, remember things like when Google promises off the record, all they mean is that they don't keep it. It's not true OTR. Um, also remember that uh, Quinn Norton's great essay, Everything is Broken. Some OTR implementations don't encrypt that first message and t she has tales of people fucking it up because of that. So don't let your story be one of them. So what can we use? What might not be completely fucked? Some OTR implementations. Some people like Quinn have bad things to say about libpurple but it's everywhere. CryptoCat, I think, after some initial security fails, really did the right thing. Opened it up to uh, community peer review and security auditing. They really want to make a good product. I've been using BitMessage a lot lately. Every so often it goes berserk and uh, runs all my processes at 100 percent but um, it, seems to be, it seems to be decent as long as you can connect to it regularly because it throws messages away after two days because of, uh, of performance problems. So it's not good for intermittent usage. I haven't played with RetroShare too much but I've liked what I've seen. Uh, I like the peer-to-peer -peer structure and the key management. So that, that seems like a good direction to go in. But it sums up that we really need more auditing. We need more peer review so we can see what we can really trust. And it all 
also suffers from the floor of standing out as encrypted communications. So we need more steganography. I'm about to be dragged off the stage. I have two things to say. Number one, we say we're, you know, there's a lot of suspicion of glass holes, right? Because they might be recording us. Well, guess what? Everyone's fucking recording shit. People have been keeping all their email and keeping all their IMs for so long and not deleting them. We need ephemeral messaging that's not just in the uh, smartphone app space. We need more steganography. We need... All right, all right I'm getting there. One thing. GCHQ, they had to uh, take people, had, had to use special staff to view the Yahoo vi chat videos that they were illegal, illegally collecting because of all the nudity. So send plenty of nudity. Make it, make it, uh, uh, un, un, uh, make, make it uh, bad for, you know. Uh. Time can... Yes. One, one more thing. So the thing that was just on that I just deleted, called Cats and Jam, or a friend of mine wrote, puts, uh, puts cat pictures, uh, mixes cat pictures with things that look encrypted, uh, things that look like uh, security documents. So you can swap cat pictures for porn. Um, one last thing I want to say to the people in the audience, to hacksaws, lose the ego, right? Follow those burner rules for your identities. Keep your in real life identity real and separate from the ones that you do bad things with, right? People... Um, come to conferences like DEF CON to get cred, but cred is your enemy. Don't talk about the shit that you're doing. This is from the criminal complaint against Jeremy Hammond. This is where Sabu goes to great trouble to connect all of Jeremy Hammond's identities together so they can put that criminal complaint together. And so really burn those things. Um, finally, support the EFF, ask them for things. Good luck, it's better to be lucky than smart sometimes and never surrender to obedience. Thank you. That's you, man, thanks. thanks That's a great job. So you, you want to just meet people out here? Okay, and yeah, uh, and that was um, Don't Fuck It Up. Uh, it was from the uh, DEF CON 22 conference. Uh, and I really don't know what the, this guy's name is. What is it? Z-O-Z? -Z? Uh, and anyhow, you can search for that on YouTube and listen to the unedited version uh, that we had to. And, and you know, again, uh, no disrespect. Uh, we weren't trying to be wise guys or anything. We just had to, uh, you know, edit a little bit out uh, so the show could uh, so it could fit within the format of the uh, show this evening. And so, uh, again, you could check out the entire video unedited uh, at the YouTube uh address that or whatever the hell I just told you uh, and check that out as well. Uh, a very interesting uh, discussion nevertheless and, and something that I, I certainly wanted to share with you guys and uh, get you know if, if nothing else uh, you know it's just uh, you know for for the pros out there you know you, you know you already know right with you know the funny uh, you know prisms and upstreams and all of that stuff and and so you know uh, you, you know Caution is always advised, and uh, you know there's there's always the funky things that are going on. Try not to get caught up in all of that news cycle stuff uh, because it can be very um, unhealthy unhealthy for you. Uh, and you know, again, try to uh, <laughs> try to try to just uh, you know always look for the good in wherever you are, and and you'll find it right. And uh, and to remember to stay happy and. Um, you know that's what it's all about you know and um enjoying the the weather as it begins to change for us here in north america from winter to spring and uh i don't know about anybody else but i'm certainly looking forward to it and i'm already uh so happy about the uh whatever anyhow listen uh we had a lot to uh give you guys this evening and uh on the next show uh we, we uh, we I whatever uh, plan to talk about some some gadgets. We haven't spoken about some gadgets in quite a while, and I think we should talk about some gadgets because, you know, the Mobile World Congress thing just uh, recently happened, and um, the uh, auto shows uh, over in Europe just happened as well. And I want to talk about some of those uh, new automobiles that are uh, on the horizon. I have been checking out some automobile content on the uh, YouTube in uh, my spare time, my very limited spare time, and uh, some. Of the uh, vehicles that I found were actually quite interesting, and I'd like to share what I found, what I find interesting with you guys on the next uh, show. So, if I remember, I'll uh, bring that back up. Uh, also, out there uh, coming up, uh, March the twelfth, or no, uh, March the eighteenth through the twentieth, the first Cyber Threat Intelligence Symposium will be taking place in London. 
Uh, and uh, hopefully we can get out there and ch- check it out and see what's happening. Uh, and uh, you should too, if you have the opportunity and the, and the means to get out there and um, attend. Uh, other than that, uh, that's that, right? So that's show number 84. We will be back next week. I promise. Uh, I promise we will be back next week because I, I really have a lot more to um, share with you guys. And until then, just stay happy, right? Stay uh, happy. You know, just shake shake the dew off your hands. And uh, did I really just say that? Anyhow, I'm out of here. Have a good. Um, have a good. I don't know. Just, I'll see you next time, right? Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. If I can pay my bills, I'm good. I'm coming over. Found a message in my bottle. Your son is coming up. By the bill, by ill, by boy. I was saying, you ain't nothing but a baby. Your fear is growing up. Listen here, I say my dude. And what you call it? It was heaven at the bottom. And peace from throwing up. By the bill, by ill, by boy. I was saying, you ain't nothing but a baby. Your fear is growing up. I think I do this shit for real, dog. Hey, I ain't no motherfucking me, but I'm for motherfucking real, doubt. Hey, mama, mama, I got some dollars for your bills, doubt. Hey, now I'm the head and I'm the topic, all that matters, I'm Jaleel, doubt. Hey, yeah, you know I think the sunshine should feel how I feel. How I feel like, yeah, I think at nighttime Moon, she call my phone Hit my line, I'm here for you at Eastside Shame on us Rain, come on now I figured the move I figured I figured When I pay my bills, I'm good I'm coming over, found a message in my bottle Your son is coming up by the bill, by ill, by boo We are saying you ain't nothing but a baby Your fear is growing up Listen here, I say my dude And what you call it, it was heaven at the bottom And peace from throwing up By the bill, by ill, by boo We are saying you ain't nothing but a baby Your fear is growing up I got a dollar and up Stop in Kansas Talk don't to do or do not Do not forget me, I've been wild and Santa Poppin' rock'em Lord, forgive them for the talcum powder Alright, now stretch it Bless it Bless it, my brother and his record On the record For the record hey. And play it back cause they respect us Alright, now I got The moon and the stars Below my feet So low I speak So I don't wake them Praise the Lord, the guy in me Who made me spoil with rotten teeth So I performed the prophecy And on the norm, the plaque could be To be expressing who we are And addressing who they aren't And doing what they can't And if I can pay my bills, I'm good I'm coming over, found a message in my bottle Your son is coming up By the bill, by ill, by boo We are saying you ain't nothing but a baby Your fear it's growing up, listen here, I say my dude And what you call it, it was heaven at the bottom And peace from throwing up By the bill, by ill, by boo My yari saying you ain't nothing but a baby Your fear is growing up